Uh, it's Dwyer. It is Sunday, April 2nd, 2023, the day after Anthony Joshua goes the distance at home against Jermaine Franklin. Let's talk about it. But first, remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now, let me lead with this. Let's put this in perspective here. I want people to understand that I get the level of fan support Anthony Joshua has, right? It's outsized. It's rare. When I make a video here, there are very few in the entire sport of boxing who, if I say anything halfway critical, I'll get several at least several for my little part of the internet here, several comments defending him, right? I tell people, look, I am just in it to uh, bet on fights. I don't have any agenda against Anthony Joshua. But understand, if you mention that he didn't fight Deontay Wilder when both guys were unbeaten, and had different parts of the heavyweight title, I'll immediately get three responses, right? Saying it was Wilder who was at fault. Wilder ducked him and stuff like that. If I mention that Joshua is a clunky giant who's unsure of himself, I'll get immediate responses, right? Someone will blame the referee, right? Someone will blame the opponent. I realize that there is a level of passion concerning Anthony Joshua. Let me say this, too, and I don't say it lightly. You know, the U.K. has had at least, over the last 35 years, two heavyweights who I think are much better than Anthony Joshua. Right? Tyson Fury and Lennox Lewis. Right? In my opinion, just both guys, a different level of heavyweight. But yet neither Fury nor Lewis, and I'm aware of the fact that Fury got a huge crowd fighting Dillian White, have the box office potential that Anthony Joshua has, right? Joshua is that rare fighter who's loved, right? In a sport that has a lot of talented guys now and in the past. Joshua is that rare cash cow fighter, right? Think Ali, think Ray Leonard, think Mike Tyson, think Manny Pacquiao, Oscar De La Hoya, right? There are certain fighters who stand out. Whether or not you think they are the best of even the moment, the fans connect with them. The fans stay with them. Ricky Hatton. Right? The guy can lose in the ring. The fans think to themselves, we'll bounce back. Right? I'm not going anywhere. This is my guy. Right? Trainers see the guy. The guy calls them up. Superstar trainers. Trainers with stables. Trainers who 
have been with some of the best. And even the superstar trainer will take the call, right? You can imagine how it goes. Someone says, hey, Eddie Reynoso, Robert Garcia, Derek James, there's a call for you. And then the guy says, well, well, who is it? They say, Anthony Joshua, right? The trainer says, hey, hold on. Let me, let me take that call. You know, fighter, wait a second. I got a call I have to take, right? Well, I'm going to be critical here, but understand all we're trying to do here, and I mean this, is to get an honest assessment on where he is right now. Right? Joshua is great for the sport, quite frankly. You can imagine a lot of opponents are grateful for the paydays they've gotten against Joshua. Right, I consider that Klitschko-Joshua fight, that atmosphere was as electric as any I have seen in boxing over the last 10 years. And Joshua delivered. Right, I was struck. When Joshua beat Joseph Parker, he spends the post-fight comments talking about unity and stuff like that, right? Yesterday, Joshua was coming off two losses. Apparently, you had more than 19,000 people at the O2, right? The fans are with him. But let's be honest and let's be real here. Let me draw an analogy to start this off so we can put this in context. You know that good friend you had from high school grade school or college, who was a big part of your life then, right? That buddy was in your inner circle. There were things about that buddy that you really admired. The guy made success look easy. You would talk about the most private things, right? You would talk about girls when neither of you had a girlfriend, right? He was resilient. He talked about things you didn't even think were possible, right? Like, hey, have you applied to college yet? And you respected the guy so much where you thought, wow, should I be applying to college? Right? You heard it from your parents. It didn't carry the weight it did with this guy, right? He made everything look easy. You thought the future was so bright in part because of him. Then you run back into him after high school. Only this time you're in your early 30s, right? You heard that the guy had done some great things, right? Friends said, hey, this guy has, you know, the great career, right? The, uh, you know, he lives in the expensive part of town, right? But as you're talking with the guy, and the guy looks great, Right, a little bit older than high school, but he looks great. As you talk with the guy, you notice the guy's not as resilient. You notice the cheerfulness has been replaced with some melancholy, right? Then the conversation tips a little bit, and you notice the guy's a little bit erratic. You think to yourself, you know, this guy must have been through some adversity. I'm seeing a happy face. 
but there's something behind the happy face that isn't completely familiar to me. Folks, let me just say, that's Anthony Joshua today. Whatever is said, and before this fight, the fighter himself was saying, hey, I'm going to be disappointed if I don't get a knockout. If I can't beat this guy who has exactly one loss, right? It wasn't like he was fighting Quick Tillis or some fighter who's had a lot of losses. No, he's fighting Jermaine Franklin who has one loss and it was a majority decision loss in which Franklin went the distance, right? AJ says, if I lose to this guy who has fewer losses than AJ had going into this fight, I'm going to retire. Now, let's be clear here. AJ has been stopped in a fight. Understand, Jermaine Franklin, as I make this video, has never been stopped in a professional boxing match. But yet, AJ was telling you, hey, look, you know, I want the knockout. If I don't get the win, I'm not going to continue my career. Then, of course, there's an expectation that this is a redemption match, that AJ, who looked bad, in the later rounds of the last two fights. Let's remember the 12th round of the Alexander Usyk first fight, where it looks like Usyk could stop him, but decides, you know what, player, I've already won this fight. I'm not going to expend the energy in this 12th round. I'm just going to batter you until the final bell. And the second fight where AJ looks good in a later round, then you realize Usyk may have been playing possum because Usyk comes out certainly dominates the last two rounds of that fight. So here we are in this fight, and there's even talk that AJ wants to fight Tyson Fury, the lineal. Well, just to understand, AJ's in transition. There is a secret here that they are not telling us. When you're older, you go through these moments in life. Let me just say, I remember uh, my father was ill. I felt like a shell of myself. I'd wake up in the morning and I, I was thinking about him. Right? I wasn't telling clients or close friends that dad was ill. Right? It was my secret. Let's just say, I don't know what's happening with AJ. But there's a secret here that they're not telling him. Well, that they're not telling you. Maybe people around him are not telling him. Because I was listening to the comments of repeat players here, including Eddie Hearn and Derek James. And it just seemed to me that they were in on some dynamic that the rest of us weren't. Now, let's be blunt here. They once asked the great Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Robinson, arguably the best fighter in history, 
what was the most important thing for a fighter to have? And Ray Robinson said it was rhythm. Right? Can we be real here? In my eyes, and I'm just talking for myself, this version of Anthony Joshua is not ready for Tyson Fury. Fury is simply too fluid for him. Do you remember Fury against Vladimir Klitschko? Right? Understand, Joshua seems to be modeling himself off of Klitschko. Klitschko looked far too robotic, far too formulaic to even mount a real attack against Tyson Fury. At one point in that fight, Fury puts his hands behind his back. Fury knew that bouncing on the balls of his feet, changing the angles, circling. Vladimir Klitschko, who had not lost for several years, was going to keep Klitschko from throwing punches. Right? Fury feasts, absolutely feasts, on fighters who are robotic, who are a little bit unsure of themselves. Right? Well, let me just say, that was Anthony Joshua here. The fight starts, Joshua comes out, folks, he looked big and clunky. Let me pivot here and talk about my expectations for the fight. I thought, as I said in the pre-fight video, which is going to remain up, I thought that Jermaine Franklin was a bit too what I call pocket-centric. Right? Jermaine Franklin is slick. Jermaine Franklin can move his head. He has his hands up. He can move his upper body. Right? He's excellent at countering you. But... Jermaine Franklin moves in straight lines, not a lot of lateral movement. He's not up on the balls of his feet. You know where he's going to be. He's not going to try to excessively hold you. He's not going to try to run away. You're not going to see a lot of back foot. He's here to engage you. Right? His game is to have you throw punches, have him roll with the punch, have a hand up to take the power out of the punch, and then to hit you or charge in the pocket. That's Jermaine Franklin's game. Now, they did a great job on the zone because they had the one person who was absolutely essential to the telecast as part of the pre-fight. That was Dillian White, who, of course, had fought both men. And they asked Dillian White, and White's Excellent, because White's blunt. They asked Dillian White, you know, does Franklin hit hard? Now, I think he does based on films that have Franklin knocking guys down with right hands, right? Look at the Pavel Sauer fight Franklin had. But Dillian White, who, Fabio Wardley, who has White involved in his career, has said has the hardest punch in the heavyweight division, right? Dillian White's left hook, right? White, a guy who's been in the ring with both Fury and Anthony Joshua, as well as Joseph Parker, as well as Alexander Povetkin. White said that 
Franklin didn't hit that hard. But that Franklin knew what he was doing in the pocket and had very quick hands. Right? Well, understand, Joshua hits that hard. I would argue he's the hardest puncher in the heavyweight division. Right? Let me put it differently. Deontay Wilder's right hand, Zhang Zhili's left hand, Effie Ajaba's right hand, those are great punches. Joshua is that rare fighter who hits you hard with everything. Right? He knocks down Vladimir Klitschko. Look at the films. This is what YouTube is for. He knocks down Vladimir Klitschko, and Klitschko gets up, and he's woozy. And Joshua has a chance to end the fight. What's the punch he goes to repeatedly? It's his left hook. Folks, it looks dazzling. Right? Joshua's straight right hand is concussive. The story of this fight, it literally had me staring in amazement at the screen was Joshua's jab, right? This was a level of jab I had never before seen on Joshua. It was a George Foreman, Sonny Liston level jab, right? Joshua is a blessed puncher. When you talk about Joshua, you don't say, oh, great straight right hand, like you do with Deontay Wilder, right? You don't say, oh, great straight left like you do with Zhang Zhili. In fairness to Zhili, he knocks down Philippe Ergovic with a right hook, right? Maybe there's more to Zhang Zhili than meets the eye, right? But understand, with Joshua, you see the power. I believe that's why superstar trainers are taking his calls. They see the power. Here, I looked at the jab. I was like, you got to be kidding. He shot a lot of jabs against Joseph Parker, but it wasn't this level of jab, right? But let me just say, the body language was awful. Joshua seemed to lack confidence in the opening rounds of the fight. If you did not know that they were fighting at the O2 in the UK, if you killed a volume and you said, who's the home fighter? Over the first three rounds, I would have said, oh, it's Jermaine Franklin. Right? Joshua looked tentative. Joshua is the guy who you give a Ferrari to. And he then drives it into slow lane for the first three rounds. Right? And it's jarring because he's fighting a guy who Dillian White has told you doesn't hit that hard. I was expecting Joshua to concede the pocket to Jermaine Franklin, to move around the ring, but then to come in with Haymaker right hands, right? To fight this fight like David Hay, bless puncher, like Joshua, right? Hay's one of the few who hit hard with both hands. David Hay would move around the ring, make athleticism a little bit of the issue then would come in with huge shots. Let the other guy know, hey, son, you don't hit as hard as me. Right? My people are here looking for a knockout. 
I've been running my mouth before the fight, claiming I'm looking for the knockout. You thought Joshua would throw some big right hands and let the guy know, hey, man, this knockout is on the table. We got 12 rounds here, and you are on the clock. Also, you're pocket-centric. I'm a better athlete than you. I'm outside here. You're going to have to come find me, but you're going to have to deal with my power as you try to come find me. Now, understand the dynamic here, and I want to focus on Derek James for a moment, right? Because I believe the people around Joshua have a secret, right? Just understand. Franklin, who was a roofer at the time he fought Dillian White, I'm telling you, apart from a few guys getting big bucks, there's not as much money in boxing as you think. Some world-class fighters have day jobs. Some world-class trainers have day jobs, right? At light heavyweight, Joe Smith was a construction worker for years into his career. Well, understand, within the last year, Jermaine Franklin was a roofer. He got offered the Dillian White fight. He said, okay, let me take this fight. This could be career changing. And it has been, right? Because he got paid for that fight. Then he got this Anthony Joshua fight. Now people across the Atlantic know who Jermaine Franklin is, and he looked good in this fight. So... He's a credible opponent against other top 10 contenders. So just understand, Jermaine Franklin's making mistakes. Joshua hits him with a shot, and Jermaine Franklin feels a need to immediately counter the punch. Right? Immediately counter the punch. So when Joshua hits Franklin with a punch, you know where Franklin's going to be. Franklin is going to enter the pocket. Franklin is going to try to be in front of Joshua, and he's going to try to throw a counter. Now, I'm just telling you, Joshua, at this point in his career, is so out of sorts. He's so unsure of himself that you have to show him things. If Derek James had a more fluid fighter, a more aware fighter, a more confident fighter in his corner, a Tyson Fury, a David Benavides. I'm just telling you that Derek James would have just leaned over, like he does when he's talking to Errol Spence, just leaned over and said, look, when you hit him, he's trying to immediately counter you. There's an opportunity here for an uppercut. There's an opportunity for you to pivot as he tries to come close to you to counter, to pivot and to hit him with left hook, straight right hand, right? He would have just talked to Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury would have been listening. Why else would a fighter have a corner? They would have made eye contact and would have nodded. Right? The idea is use Jermaine Franklin's over-aggressiveness in trying to counter you to your advantage. 
you know where he's going to be. Right? You hit him, the guy immediately tries to come back. Pivot, make him pay. I'm telling you with Anthony Joshua, look at the film, folks. Derek James had to hop in the ring. Literally, hop in the ring and demonstrate physically what he was talking about. Right? There was a flatness to Anthony Joshua. Derek James had to literally get in a stance. He gets in a stance. He does this between more than one round. He gets in a stance because he knows his fighter is a little flat. And he, he's saying, when you hit him and he comes in, Derek James is pivoting and showing. A fighter who has successfully defended the heavyweight title multiple times in the past. A fighter who's not in his early 20s, but who's in his early 30s. I believe Joshua is 33 years old. Rather than just talk to Joshua and say, the uppercut in the pocket is there, right? This guy's trying to immediately counter you. He's going to be right in front of you. Remember, Jermaine Franklin, not a lot of lateral movement. He's pocket-centric, right? If you land on him, just immediately expect him to jump at you and make him pay. Rather than just say that, I can imagine Benavides just looking at him, nodding. Why else are you paying a world-class superstar trainer? Anthony Joshua looks distracted. Derek James looks more animated in the corner than Anthony Joshua. Right? So let's just say Joshua looks robotic. He looks formulaic. He's shooting a great jab. Folks, it's caught my attention. I was watching rounds three, four, and five. I was mesmerized by Joshua's jab. Now, I'm just telling you, when you have a power jab like that, right, we'll call it a Virgil Ortiz. He's the guy with the power jab in boxing today. When you have that Virgil Ortiz, George Foreman, Sonny Liston power jab, Carlos Monzon power jab, if you know what you're doing, if you have confidence in the punch, if you realize that this power jab is like hitting Jermaine Franklin with a right cross, if Jermaine Franklin is having a hard time getting through this power jab, why would you throw anything else? Wouldn't that power jab be 50, 60% of the punches you throw? But understand, Joshua's unsure of himself. He's in transition. He didn't know how to play off that jab. Understand, I told you earlier in this video, he has a great left hook. You would have thought he would turn the jab over, convert it to a left hook, have the other guy think that he's throwing a jab and then bludgeon him with a great left hook. You would think that Joshua would use this jab to soften up Jermaine Franklin, and then come over with the right hand. Vladimir Klitschko style. Lennox Lewis style. Thomas Hearn style. In other words, Emmanuel Stewart style. 
But no, Joshua seemed to drift. That's what it felt like. You saw the tools, you saw the heavy jab, you saw the heavy power, but Joshua seemed to drift. Right? He, he couldn't hit Franklin. Then as Franklin jumps in, pivot, make him pay for jumping in. He's holding Franklin a lot. Those clinches you're seeing, most of them are initiated by Joshua. Now, I don't have a problem with the holding because, quite frankly, I believe heavyweights need to hold. Right? The heavyweight division has more power than other divisions. These men are carrying more weight. They have more stamina problems than other divisions. Right? You need to hold. You need to know how to clinch to preserve your stamina as well as to prevent getting hit by the other guy when the guy's deep in the pocket. But I was just astonished that a puncher like Joshua would be clinching as much as he was. Right? So, let me just say this. Derek James now realizes what I believe Robert Garcia realized. Joshua's in transition. This is not the fighter from when he was younger who seemed to have more confidence, seemed to start fights a little bit faster than he does now. No, this is a guy who, against an opponent who Dillian White tells you doesn't have the big punch. This is a guy who starts out at home in front of his own fans very tentatively. Let me say, too, that how could you be a British boxer? Looking at how Tyson Fury leans backward to maximize his height. Looking at how Lennox Lewis leans backwards to maximize his height. Look at Lennox Lewis against David Tua, a guy with a hellacious punch. Right? Lennox Lewis has his defense ready, and Lennox Lewis leans backwards. In this fight, Joshua really gets going in the second half of the fight, right? I thought Jermaine Franklin would dominate the second half of the fight. Joshua had his best moments in the second half of the fight, right? But understand, Joshua, in his 30s, gives up his height, right? He comes in, he feels most comfortable, leaning forward, going flat-footed, to duke it out with an opponent. Now that worked against Jermaine Franklin. I'm just telling you, it wouldn't work against Tyson Fury. Right? Tyson Fury himself should realize this version of Anthony Joshua is not ready for him. Now the odd part is that they talked to Derek James right after the fight. They talked to two repeat players, two guys who've been around the game a long time, who've seen great fighters, who've been part of great fights. They go to Derek James after this fight. Right now, Derek James somehow has gotten Joshua throwing the best jab I've seen Joshua throw. But understand, Joshua doesn't seem to know what he's doing. 
right? As I've said, he's the guy in the Ferrari in the slow lane. Doesn't seem to realize that the car actually has some pop. So they asked Derek James, hey, is Joshua ready for Tyson Fury? Is Tyson Fury next? And Derek James just said, hey, man, uh, this was after a Joshua interview where Joshua gave some corporate response about giving the fans what they want. And Derek James said, hey, I want what he wants. <laughs> Complete dodge of the question. Right, Derek James just says, look, if he feels he's ready for Tyson Fury, it's his life, and I'm going to support his decisions. Right? Let's just say I, I get the feeling that if Derek James thought that Joshua looked magnificent in the fight, Derek James would say, hey, you saw the fight. Don't you think he's ready? That, that wasn't the tone I got. I got the feeling that Derek James, days after Joshua was upset with his prior trainer because his prior trainer didn't show enough respect, that's the word Joshua used, I got the feeling Derek James is walking on eggshells. Right? Derek James didn't want to be the person who brought any negativity or bad news to Joshua. So then they have Eddie Hearn there. Now, Eddie has to know that Joshua is not ready for Tyson Fury. Right? Joshua is channeling the Vladimir Klitschko version that Tyson Fury dominated. Right? Joshua himself is not up on his toes. He moves more against Andy Ruiz in the rematch than he does here. He seemed hesitant to throw hard right hands. They go to Eddie Hearn, who's been in the game. He's one of the big promoters in the game. They go to Eddie Hearn and say, hey, you know, is Joshua ready for Fury? And, of course, Eddie Hearn says, hey, you know, we want to give the fans what they want. Eddie Hearn echoes Joshua's corporate response. Right? I get the feeling in the room when the public, when people like me and you are outside of the room, both Derek James and Eddie Hearn are telling Joshua, player, you need more fights. Right? Dude, you were at home. You look too cautious. He wins the fight, right? He has Jermaine Franklin, who has a poker face, in serious trouble in one of the later rounds. But understand, I had Jermaine Franklin winning something like the 11th round. In other words, Jermaine Franklin's still picking up rounds late in the fight, right? Jermaine Franklin, on the telecast, they tell you, Jermaine Franklin is still trying to win this fight, right? Joshua doesn't really come close to knocking down Jermaine Franklin, right? Joshua didn't look like he knew the punches to put together to go for broke. Now, maybe this will change. Maybe as things go on, Joshua is going to get back some of the confidence he seems to have lost. But this isn't the fighter who beat Dominique Brazil, right? I'm just telling you, the punching power is otherworldly. I've seen the left hook. It's an excellent left hook. Joshua's jab right now is the most powerful jab 
in the heavyweight division. Right? You see the talent. It's the execution that's not there. Right? Let me also say, too, in the pre-fight video, I talked about how Joshua gets off the canvas against Andy Ruiz. The ref is talking to Joshua, says, walk to me. And Joshua looks lackluster and uncertain then. That's with the fight hanging on the line, with the ref having the power to stop the fight. Here, I don't know what's going on, but Derek James is in the corner and he's animated. This is in the middle rounds, right? Derek James, as I said in the pre-fight video, coaches closers. He's like Emmanuel Stewart. He's like Sugar Hill, the guy who's now with Lawrence Acoli, right? The guy who's been with Tyson Fury. These guys expect you to finish inside of the distance. There's Derek James in the ring. Derek James is one of the elite trainers in all of boxing. This guy has won trainer of the year in the past. Here is Derek James in the ring. Right? On his own two feet. In a fight stance. Trying to show Joshua what to do. And folks, Joshua looked distracted. Now, I've looked at a lot of corners. I saw um, Ali was with Angelo Dundee. Ray Leonard was with Angelo Dundee. I'm just telling you. Uh, Duran was with Ray Arcel. When you have this level of trainer in your corner, Right, Even great fighters pay attention to the trainer. Ali would, of course, disregard what Angelo was saying. Right, Angelo didn't like the whole rope-a-dope strategy. But Ali at least gave Angelo Dundee his attention in the corner. Here you had Joshua looking distracted in the corner. And then in the ring, not doing what Derek James was telling him to do. So to Joshua Nation, let me just say, AJ needs a few more fights. He's going to have to pick his opponents carefully. Right? AJ right now looks cautious. By the way, in terms of leaning backward instead of forward, how do you imitate or be inspired by Vladimir Klitschko without noticing that Klitschko, who had the great jab, right, would lean backwards to create distance between himself and the opponent. Right? Understand, there are parts of Joshua's game right now that need work. He said in the post-fight interview that he looked forward to going back to Texas to train further with Derek James. He needs to listen to Derek James, right? I give Joshua credit for being willing to travel to be with a world-class trainer, right? Now he needs to listen to Derek James, and they need to tighten up that relationship where Derek James can just lean over and say to him, this guy's trying to immediately counter you. He's in the pocket right after you land shots. You need to pivot and hit him with straight right hand, uppercut, Body shots. Something. 
I congratulate AJ, but he's not quite back yet. Those are my thoughts. Let me hear yours. I know AJ Nation will let me hear theirs in the comment section of this video if I'm AJ. And, by the way, the defense was lacking. Right? You saw his nose bleeding. I mean, it was like the fight started. <laughs> and then it was like moments later, his nose is bleeding. Then moments later, the blood's on his white trunks. Right? AJ, if you're going to get hit in the nose like that, understand, Jermaine Taylor is jumping into the pocket and he's tripling up on the jab. Right? Great defensive fighters don't get tripled up on the jab that way. Right? Did you ever see Floyd Mayweather get hit in the face by three jabs in a row? Right? AJ just, let's just say he beat this opponent. You and I know their layers. Right? The fact that AJ gets his nose bloodied early in the fight isn't a good omen here. He won the fight. He's extremely talented. There's a lot here to tighten up. It seems like his game has come off the rails after losing to Andy Ruiz and then losing twice to Alexander Usyk. Let me say this, too. They had Sergio Mora, who, in my opinion, is one of the best boxing analysts in the sport, right? He was not on the main telecast. He should have been. Mora made the point that Jermaine Franklin was roughly the same height as Andy Ruiz, right? Chris Mannix shot down Sergio Mora on that point. I thought the point was an excellent point, right? Understand, Joshua has never lost to guys his size or taller, right? That's important because in the heavyweight division, right, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Joe Joyce, these are big men, right? Joshua seems to have a problem with shorter men, right? 6'1 to 6'3. He has a problem, right? That problem continues, folks, because Jermaine Franklin just crossed the Atlantic, fought Joshua in the O2, where Joshua had had success, right? As we were watching the telecast, there was no Jermaine Franklin cheering section in the crowd. Joshua had the crowd behind him. Could not stop Jermaine Franklin. For all the talk before the fight, right? I'll retire if I don't beat this guy. For all the talk, there was a noticeable lack of urgency. More importantly, there was a noticeable lack of risk-taking by Joshua. That's the fight I saw. Tell us about the fight you saw in the comment section of this YouTube video. Right? Again, Joshua is the guy in a Ferrari who's in the slow lane on the highway. Will not put the car in fourth gear. Let me hear from you. I look forward to your comments. Thanks for stopping by.